for me, I had gone in with this thought that, okay, we're just going to teach everyone how to code and then we'll find them jobs or something like that. And I really was not focused in terms of which specific jobs are we trying to get these girls. Initially also, I was thinking about aid and really applying for a lot of grants and things like that for the nonprofit before. But now I think also having had more experience internationally, I do think even on an international scale, I think running a nonprofit is very difficult and getting funding for a nonprofit, even on a global scale, is, is extremely difficult. But I, I also have seen how technology is made, how, how a technology business can run. And I think that that's been really good in terms of seeing, okay, how do I shift from just accepting aid to, okay, how can we be an organization or something that really can sustain itself as well, but also doing social good. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Rowena Luke, and you're listening to Aid Evolve, a podcast about technology, poverty, and health. We'll be hearing firsthand from people who have dedicated their lives to fighting poverty or improving healthcare, and are experimenting with whether technology can help us do this better. As we listen to their dreams and their fears, their risks and their triumphs, my hope is that we can pull out some lessons learned for those of us trying to do the same. Marlene Mangami is a remarkable woman. She was the first African woman to join the board of the Global Python Software Foundation. PSF develops and maintains the Python programming language, one of the most popular programming languages in the world. Marlene was also chair of the first ever Pan-African PyCon, or Python conference. And on top of that, she co-founded ZimboPy, a nonprofit that empowers young women in Zimbabwe to pursue careers in technology. In the conversation you're about to hear, Marlene and I discuss what it was like joining the board of the Python Software Foundation, particularly as a young African woman. All things that made her stand out. She tells us what it was like to teach herself how to code, the things that help and the things that didn't. On many occasions, Marlene has needed to act against what was normal or expected of her as a Zimbabwean woman. And she's also needed to resist donors who may have had a misguided idea of how to teach technology. Today, Marlene sits at a crossroads, with open source and nonprofit work down one path, and the private sector, technology industry down another. What path will she choose? Or will she find a way to bring these two worlds together? Welcome to the show, Marlene. Thank you so much for having me. Marlene, what are you up to these days? How are things in your life right now? Right. Um, well, I think there's a lot going on in my life at the moment. I am currently... Yeah, I kind of got that impression when we were sketching. Right. <laughs> when we were talking before, it's it's a lot right now. But so at the moment, I am software... I'm entering as a software engineer with the Rapids team at NVIDIA. And I've been there for almost a year now and uh, have just been working with the team that works on GPU uh, libraries. I'm also oh. at the moment still doing school. Um, so trying to finish off school, I'm really in the home stretch there, which is great. And I'm just studying computer science at the University of London. And then also just volunteering. Uh, I'm on the board of directors uh, for the Python Software Foundation, as you mentioned. I'm also the vice chair there. 
And yeah, I am just doing that. I am also wanting to hopefully, I'm, I'm putting a lot, a lot of structure in place locally for sort of getting back into the nonprofit space locally with Pie, which is my nonprofit. And yeah, just that's pretty much it at the moment. Wow, that's pretty much it. That's it. <laughs> that's <Marlene>. it. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the benefit of the audience, I will say, as when I was talking to Marlene before we clicked record, I was like, one of those the the Nvidia job or the studies, one of them has to be a, a part time thing. And she's like, no, no, I have a full time job. I'm studying full time, and I'm doing all this volunteering on the side. And I was like, Marlene, that's insane. <laughs> Well, anyways, I'm I'm really thrilled that you made the time to be on this show. And I, I promise I'll do the best with the time that we have. I wanted to jump ahead a little bit and talk about one of the things that you're known for, which is being on the board of the Python mm-hmm. Software Foundation, being the first African elected to that board. And just what that experience was like for you personally, particularly as the first African, as a woman, mm-hmm. you know, with your background. Um, can you can you just talk a bit about what what it was like and what that, uh, how it, yeah, what it was like for you? Right. So I think that on the board, I, so when I was like at the end, like when I was running Jimbo Pi, I had connected with the global Python community and was just, you know, really amazed by the fact that there was this community of people that were teaching Python and learning Python and like wanting it to grow in different places and wanting to empower people with it across the world. And so mm. I had connected with someone from the Pi Ladies team, Lorena actually, who's the chair right now of, uh, of the PSA as well. And during that time, it was just like such a cool, like the timing was just great because like right after we connected, she, there was an election for the PSA. And mm. She thought, because I had already this experience of running a nonprofit locally with Simbo Pi, and she and also one of my co-founders for my nonprofit thought it would be a good idea for me to, to run for the board. And I definitely felt like at the time, I was just like, oh, I, I really feel un, like super underqualified for this. <laughs> and like when I was looking at the people who were also running that year, it was like, people who were directors, like people who worked at Disney and like Google and just like all these amazingly big companies and just um, mainly I'm men sure as well. One. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of um, men. Sure. Definitely. And so it's very intimidating for me, but I also thought to myself, you know, why, like, what am I going to lose if I run and I don't make it? That, you know, what's going to happen? Like, I'm going to be fine. So I said, okay, let me just go ahead and run. And surprisingly, (laughs) I got voted in, which was really, really cool. And I think really just also a testament to the Python community. I think the global Python community is is really, really, I think they want to, they're super inclusive. And I think really wanting to encourage diversity and to hear everyone's voice. And so for me, awesome. Yeah, for me, it was such a cool, cool thing being voted on. And I definitely spent like, I've now been on the board for almost five years now. This, I'm going into my fifth. Oh, year. wow. Huh, you're an old timer now. Yeah, my fifth and final year <laughs> as well. I'm just like, yeah. Now you're the one intimidating. <laughs> now I'm intimidating. Exactly. Um, but definitely in that first year, it was super difficult for me, I think, to 
being the only African in that space, you know, mainly uh, Americans on the board and also mainly people who were older than me, people who had more experience than me, who, you know, mm-hmm. I felt deserved to have a voice at that table as compared to me. So I really struggled, mm-hmm. I think, with a lot of sort of self-doubt in in that, yeah. mo- like in those moments in that first year, for sure. So it that was quite, it was like my beginning stages in the board were really, really difficult, but also really formative, I think. So really... fascinating. Interesting. Marlene, one of the things I appreciate about how you talk about it is you really give a lot of credit to other people, you know, your co-founder and the woman who invited you to apply and nominate yourself. I suspect you don't give quite enough credit to yourself <laughs> and to the way in which you were able to impress others with your work in order to, in order to get there. But I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it out. You know, I think I, it's great to recognize everyone who's helped you along your journey. And I'm sure you had some role to play. Yeah. In all of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's definitely, yeah. it's definitely easier, I think, to, to, to think about other people than probably reflect on the work that I did, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's also something that like as, as women, you know, we're, we're sort of trained to recognize others, but, you know, be a bit humble mm-hmm. about ourselves, which is why I'm, I'm doing that for you. I'm calling that out for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Marlene, one of the, like, and what's interesting as well is often when you have a group of well-intentioned, good people, but they're all they're all men, they're all white, they're all from America, then certain things might be set up in a way where it's harder for you just because there hasn't mm-hmm. been uh, a woman or an African on the board before. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mean to get you in trouble or anything, but is there anything <laughs> that you could, that you can say, or even point out for other boards as well, like small things that you mm-hmm. noticed in that first year or two that you've now changed um, or not <laughs> within the foundation to, to lower the barrier for others like you or for the next the next person who's going to step into your seat on the board? Right. Oh, it's, it's so difficult. Like, I think that, oh, and I love the board so much. So I always like, I'm always like very conscious in terms of like, I think what makes communities work or like spaces like the board work is, is the privacy of, of some of our conversations. Mm. But I think that uh, without being specific or anything like that, I think that, one of the things that I've struggled with is like, I think sometimes when we have been in a space where we are surrounded by people with the same perspectives or surrounded with the people, with people who've had the same experiences as us, like we just make assumptions based off of like our lived experiences or our perspectives. And I think, yeah, it's only initially. Yeah, it's only human. And I think especially when we are in spaces where we are working for the good of people, like one of the, the, the missions of the PSF, for example, is to, is to support the growth of an, a diverse and international community of people. So how do we support people? Nice. Like, what does that support look like? And what does diversity mean for you? So like, I think diversity... Hmm. In the States, for example, looks very different from diversity in Zimbabwe. Like when we talk about diversity True. in the States, I think when we think about diversity in the States, a lot of it is is surrounded by like there's certain uh, sort of identifiers that 
a very key to people's identity in the United States. But in Zimbabwe, th- those things would not be true. For example, I think hmm. like race is a big thing in America. But when you come to Zimbabwe, almost everyone's black, you know? <laughs> and so what does right. diversity look like for me as a Zimbabwean person? And what does respect yeah. my culture or my perspective look like for, uh, you know, as, Zimbab- as a Zimbabwean person as compared to you, you know, respecting diversity or respecting another person in the States? And I think yeah. that it can be, yeah. So I think like, no, I think that's a really, that's a really good point. Like I, I think what, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is there is a way, an approach, a way of thinking about diversity in America, mm. which is very American. <laughs> so yeah. even the concept <laughs> itself of diversity is different. And we're talking about yeah. being diverse in Zim or in China or in mm. India or something like that. And I think that's, that's a really important yeah. point. I think people don't talk about it that enough, particularly in international forums like the Python or, or, you know, like, like any organization that is truly international. Mm. (laughs) I was just going to say that I definitely think that the board has really done so much work, I think, in terms of hearing different perspectives and and listening to the community globally. I think when it's like a global organization, it becomes even more difficult because you're not just thinking about how can I better serve like a million people in you know in the USA I'm thinking about how do I serve like a billion people who are using the python programming language you know and that's very mm-hmm. difficult to do and it's it's very difficult to make everyone feel seen and make everyone feel uh connected yeah and yeah <laughs> for sure it's quite <laughs> difficult agreed agreed oh man going back to your community and your roots in your community I'd love to hear about your experience, like how you grew up within that community. Can you talk a bit about your experience learning Python, learning how to program as as a woman in Zimbabwe, figuring things out? When I started, one of the biggest things for me was this idea of communal learning and like having a space, whether that was locally or online where I could learn and I could access resources for free because like in that Mm. space in the time when I had come back I really was not looking to spend a ton of money on a new program like that I was I was still exploring what I wanted to do you know with the rest of my life and yeah I was not yeah I just didn't have the money and I didn't have the time as well just to to dedicate like to jump right into like a, a new program or something and so mm-hmm. for me, like one of the fantastic things was like locally, there's like a Python community and, and there was like a PyCon conference where you get to sit in and you get to listen to people sharing how they built things or how they learn different things. Or even through my co-founder who was teaching these girls how to, how to code and build websites with the Django Girls program. And, you know, for me, that was the first way I built my, my website. That was how, like, I started, the first thing that I I started building was the Django Girls website, uh, the blog post (laughs) that that you built. And, and so for me, like that communal learning of having these free resources available to me was super, super helpful. And I think as well, I really came into it with this perspective of I wanted to specifically empower young women for several Mm -hmm. reasons. I think one, like when I thought about when I was in that 
space, I really was thinking as well about my younger self and, and what I would have appreciated and what I would have liked. And I do mm-hmm. feel like in Zimbabwe, just like definitely that stereotype is there that guys are the only ones that can get into engineering or coding or whatever mm. it is. And I also think that I do live in like, I think Zimbabwean culture is extremely patriarchal um, in several aspects. And in many ways, like, you know, there's a part of the culture that I think is, that's a, that's like, like matriarchs are really sort of honored and respected. And so I don't want to like talk bad about my own, (laughs) it's my own (laughs) tradition and my own culture, but I think there's parts of it that it's very complex for sure, but there are definitely parts of it that have a negative effect when like, it's like you are not empowering uh, young women to um, to be able to have the opportunity to be anything else than than wives or or something like that. And it's like when mm. you're a young girl, sometimes coming from family maybe that has limited resources, what sometimes happens is if there's if a family that has guys and and girls in it then you're going to see the majority of those resources are going to be put into the, the, the young man in the, in the family as compared to the girls. And then the girls will, yeah, the, if the family has enough you know, resources, they can empower everyone. But if not, oftentimes you'll see it's, it's the girls that kind of get left behind. And mm. so for me, I really wanted to prioritize that. And I did, like, at first, like, I got a lot of, like, why are you doing that? Like, why should just this just be for girls? But uh, yeah, I really felt like that was, yeah, definitely. And I, I really felt like that was important to me. And it's still something that I think is really central to something that I'm passionate about because I think girls are just as smart as, as, as boys. And Hell yeah. That, exactly. <laughs> and I think that they just, a lot of the times we just need those resources and opportunities. And how do you, how do you fight that? Or how do you change that cultural norm while still mm-hmm. respecting the culture that you're coming from, or even for if someone mm-hmm. else is working with this community or supporting you in your work mm-hmm. with Zimbo Pie and elsewhere? How do you make that change while still being respectful of what's good in what's already there? Right. That's a really great question. It's a it's something that I've really struggled to do. I I think and I think it would be even harder for people who are people who are like coming from outside of the culture that don't even understand the culture um so i think for mm. them it would be even harder <laughs> for me being in the culture it's, it's quite hard i think i i've tried my best to engage with individuals so i really think that for the most part like when you talk to the human nature and people like everyone I think humans naturally we want to see each other flourish we want to see each other succeed and so like Mm. even when we were first starting out the program we would have discussions with these girls have discussions sometimes with parents and just appealing to to the fact that you know there's so much opportunity available and we know you want to see your children succeed. We know that this is something that mm. you would like to see happen. Yeah. And I think just appealing to like the human nature in us, sometimes those things kind of transcend our cultures. And yeah. 
you know, those cultural barriers that are there. Yeah. But I definitely think like, I'm so respectful. I think it's incredible for people (laughs) who are married. I'm like, it's incredible that you're married for like moms that are there. And like, I'm just like, (laughs) you're a stay at home mom. I think that's fantastic. Whatever it is, I think celebrating that as well, like just because there are other options or there are other opportunities doesn't mean we have to like not celebrate the other the other aspects that are there. I think culture is fantastic. I think I love culture. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love what you I love the example you gave there of of hmm. parents that hope the best for their children. Like that's universal. We all want our kids to take over the world. And that's right. something that you can easily imagine like overcoming a variety of things that might stand in the way of their children. So that, that feels like something that rides above culture. Right. What are, what are some of the other resources or, I mean, maybe, maybe there weren't that many, but I'm, I'm curious to hear in your journey uh, in technology in Zim, were there any other resources that you found, you know, helpful or harmful from, from government, from industry, from aid, from anywhere else? I'm from the internet, <laughs> uh, that you want to call it as, as either particularly helpful or harmful to you? To me specifically, I would say like, I really struggled with, I guess also I was a bit naive when I first started out because mm-hmm. I really wanted to like, I'm really like one of those people that like, when I get going, I want to just take over everything. Yeah. And so I, at some point I want to hold on to that. Yeah. <laughs> Stay naive. Right. <laughs> it's great. But it was so difficult, like at the beginning, like there was a point, there was a time where I wanted to get into schools and do programs uh, around different schools and things like that. And it was quite difficult for me locally working with with local Mm -hmm. government to be able to access schools and things like that to provide these resources. So that was quite difficult. Because there there weren't enough school programs available or because... What was the challenge with local government? No, there's lots of bureaucracy, I would say, in in Zimbabwe with with local government. Like, there's really gotcha. like trying to figure out who's the right person to talk to, and then when you talk to that person, how do I get that person to approve this? And how do I see that the, like uh, convince this person that I'm genuine and I want to do something like good? And hmm. it's quite difficult to talk to the right people. Like when you're trying to get a computer science program into schools or, or, or right. do you mean more like when you're trying to get into a school? No, like in to get computer science programs into school. So I wanted to do like a club, oh, yeah. an after school club with with public schools, hmm. especially in peri-urban areas where we were going to provide them with laptops and things like that. And I saw there was a, there's a big need for that. You know, we were really hoping to honor people to be able to do that. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And I thought it was a great idea. I thought it would be possible, but it, it was, it was just to get into the schools is not possible um, yeah. in terms of clubs and things like that. I did end up working with like individual Shame. teachers sometimes yeah. to try and uh, get some programs working for their, some girls in, in their programs. And that worked um, and we also mm. had some, we partnered with community centers that also let us host some, some things there. But it was quite difficult, I think, working with local government. Yeah, that's so frustrating, you know, because you know there's the demand, you know there's talent in Zim, you know that exactly. there's opportunity here. Yeah. And really, you know, these, for whoever's running the school board, like they, they know that too, but it's mm. a question of just figuring out how to navigate that system. But it's also, yeah, and- it's, it's really interesting for me hearing you experience mm. that 
that frustration, that journey, even as someone from Zim uh, navigating Mm -hmm. the system in Zim, you know? (laughs) Yeah, very difficult. And I will say like, in terms of like aid and things like that, I, whenever I came across, like I did at some point talk to someone who wanted, who already had quite a lot of donors interested in the program and already wanted to kind of start working with people in areas and teaching them technology. But I feel like with that person, they they wanted to teach like a specific technology that was super outdated and super, mm. I, like, I don't think that this will be interesting <laughs> to people, you know, and I don't think this will yeah. be helpful. Or employable. Yeah. Or employable. This is not going to give people jobs, to be honest. And I'm just yeah. like, we really are living in an age where why should we use why should we teach people old technology? Like, even if someone is in a rural area, like, why can't they learn yeah. new technology? Like, exactly. Teach you them. can go it anywhere if you have laptop and power. <laughs> exactly. And and they were going to give them, like, laptops and everything and resources and set up mm. all of those things. But just the curriculum they wanted to do was just older. And I'm just like, oh, I no. don't understand that kind of perspective as well. Mm. That, that's really not good. Fascinating. Great to hear. And I think that speaks to those in the audience who might be working with the education system and trying to innovate on that. Um, so I love that that case study that you provide, Marlene. Marlene, I'd love to talk a bit about the opportunities that exist for people in Africa or in Zim who are pursuing a technology education or invested in Python. Um, a few questions on this topic, Marlene. One is, what does the career landscape look like? For for a young person in Zim who has the technology technology skills, like what is the what is the best job that they strive to get, and and what is the role of local versus international organizations in that in that career search? Right. Well, I think technology is a fantastic field to be in right now. It's one of those fields that has like the demand for talent is super super high, and yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Even locally, I think there is a bit of a, there is a demand for talent. But I would say locally, um, there are some challenges because it, you know, currently the tech industry is really quite small. Um, or I mean, there is a quite there are some large companies, but they're really like these big monopolies that sometimes I feel then don't really pay people as well as they should or or different things like that. But I do feel like, you know, it's, there are fantastic opportunities, whether that's in software engineering or web development or Android development, like phone and app development is really, uh, mobile and app development is really uh, big right now as well in, in, in Africa. And so I would say those are fantastic fields to go into even locally. But I do think right Mm -hmm. now, because, you know, everything that's happened with the pandemic is that it has forced people to move remotely. Like like companies are just moving remotely. And so that Mm -hmm. means that more companies are able to hire remotely as well. And oftentimes there are no, they, they can also hire internationally. So I myself am working remotely for NVIDIA and that's been fantastic. Mm. And I think one of the things that that offers us as African people from or people from emerging areas in general is that it does give us an opportunity to it does give us an opportunity to really be getting paid 
I think getting paid very well. I mean, it's, I, this is my experience <laughs> with NVIDIA. You get, I'm getting paid very well. You are, yeah. you know, at the, <laughs> you're at the cutting edge <laughs> of, of technology, really working on, on really fantastic technology that's being used by some of the largest companies or things like that. And you can do that from, from within Africa, you know. And I think that's something nice. that's becoming increasingly common. Um, Zimbabwe mm-hmm. has like a few challenges, I think, because Zimbabwe is sanctioned. The United mm-hmm. States has, has continued to sanction Zimbabwe. I'm not sure, but because of the sanctions, they are. It is a bit more tricky to, I think, employ from Zimbabwe. But I do know a number of other companies as well internationally that don't have an issue employing from Zimbabwe. Also, also offer maybe relocation. You can move to South Africa or something like that. But mm-hmm. I just think the opportunities that have opened up in the world today, working remotely, are so, so incredible. And really, we have, we're entering this new era where we really can lift people out of poverty and not by giving them like, you know, the most basic job ever, but really by giving them fantastic job opportunities and will increase their standard of living really drastically. So Nice, nice, nice. I definitely <laughs> believe in that. That makes a ton of sense to me. Marlene, how has this opportunity shaped your thinking more recently about investing in your community? Um, you mentioned how you're, you're shifting off the Python Software Foundation, you're looking at ZimboPy and some of your other local efforts. Do you, how has your approach in your local community changed or is it changing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think like before, like I mentioned, I was very naive and I think I, <laughs> I think I really struggled with just wanting to do everything. Like I wanted to do everything myself. You're still doing everything. <laughs> and, You're still doing it. Yeah, okay, great. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really just, I think now I'm, I'm really being thoughtful about my work locally when I approach my work locally how mm. I'm thinking about sustainability so I am you know, Ooh, pulling in partners right I'm pulling in partners who have more experience with like running a business for example like how can we you know I think there was a big yeah. lack in terms of like for me I had gone in with this thought that okay we're just going to teach everyone how to code and then we'll find them jobs or something like that and <laughs> I really was not focused in terms of what are we specializing on here in terms of technology, which specific jobs are we trying to give these girls? How are we going to connect them to these companies or something in a way that's sustainable as well for us? Mm -hmm. I wasn't really thinking about the long term when I first started, but now I'm really, really being slow and I'm really thinking about how can I build something that's more sustainable? How can I partner with people that yeah. um, can help me do that? So I'm definitely... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be it would be great to see, uh, you know, maybe the next startup coming out of Zim uh, yeah. with, with the perspective of the woman that you're helping training, maybe even serving the market um, that, yeah. that you know, uh, or maybe, you know, like having, having a deeper perspective on the market, you know, like I'm sure mm-hmm. there is some product out there that 
women in Africa would love to see on their phones. (laughs) Maybe that's the thing that you and your team will be building. (laughs) Yeah. So I I don't even know. We're still discussing it in the beginning processes, but I definitely think like we're shifting. Initially also, I was thinking about aid and really applying for a lot of grants and things like that for the nonprofit before. But now I think also having had more experience internationally, I do think even on an international scale, I think running a nonprofit is very difficult and getting funding for a nonprofit, <laughs> even on a global scale is, is extremely difficult. But I, I also have seen how technology is made, how, how a technology business can run. And mm-hmm. I think that that's been really good in terms of seeing, okay, how do I shift from just accepting aid to, okay, how can we be an organization or something that really can sustain itself as well, but also doing social good. <laughs> yeah. Let me know when you launch the Impact Investment Fund, you know, I'm signing yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> definitely we'll let you know. We'll definitely let you know. <laughs> Because uh, I, I imagine, I have to imagine uh, you, I mean, I might be going on a bit of a tangent here, but I have to imagine you want a, a little bit of seed capital in order to get mm-hmm. going. You want longer returns uh, than maybe in a yeah. traditional bank loan or whatever else, but that you'll get there. You know, someone with your energy and your ability to balance multiple full-time jobs at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> like one way or another, you'll, you'll get there. And maybe it's just a question of finding your right niche and your sustainable business right. model there. So. I'm I'm super excited to see how your search lands. Thank you. I appreciate that. Marlene, can I ask you one other general question and then we can switch over to the rapid fire? Yeah, sure. In in one of the blogs that you wrote, you were talking about a conversation in a Slack community that you're part of about open source um, and, Mm -hmm. and how you were speaking with some of your African colleagues about, you know, let's get more open source projects going in Africa. And the Mm -hmm. feeling that came back from that conversation was open source is for rich people. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to <laughs> like and actually and the, and the other thing that that reminds me of as well is I know a lot of the work that you've done, you know, even serving mm-hmm. on the Python Software Foundation, you you had to do as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And so and, you know, there's only a certain kind of person that I mean, clearly you can balance mm-hmm. three jobs. But for the rest of us, <laughs> uh, like, you know, there's a kind of work that you can do for free and mm-hmm. a kind of work that is harder to do. I'd love to yeah. hear your your thoughts on yeah. On that statement, you know, open source is for rich people. Mm-hmm. Like, is it true? Is it false? What does that say about Africa and America? Uh, just unpack it for me. Definitely. I think more and more we are, like, I think a lot of the, when I really started joining the, the Python space, I really was surprised to see how many people are, like, directly hired from contributing to open source. You know, and that's like on a global scale where a lot of people in the tech space are encouraged to contribute to open source because that's a lot of recruiters look at your open source profile and are, you know, going to directly hire from that space. Or, um, you know, we'll be talking about, or I will be in, in conversations with people and people would be just like, oh, why aren't African people you know, actually doing stuff with open source, why is it only like, you know, and, and kind of looking down on on some of our communities because people are not contributing to open source. But 100%, like when I talked about open source to those, to my community on that WhatsApp group, 
people were just like, you can't do it because it's it's literally you're volunteering your time and your energy. And when you live in a in an economy like the, I I would say, you know, from my experience, Zimbabwe, our economy is really struggling. <laughs> and yeah. so you are, you know, majority of people cannot afford for for example, first of all, the majority of people are not going to be able to afford like a very strong internet connection where right. they can be online all the time or something like that. And then people are also not going to be able to afford using all of their time and energy for free, you know, just volunteering mm-hmm. or the, the possible chance that they, something could come out of it. And it's like, even to contribute to open source, you need resources. You need, like, if you're a parent, for example, you need someone to take care of your, your child. Well, you know, the, people don't consider childcare. People don't consider the fact that you need internet which mm-hmm. is expensive you need uh, electricity and you know sometimes it's gotten a little bit better this year i would say <laughs> electricity goes yeah. in our countries and so if electricity is gone you need a fuel for your generator you need food to eat you just there are so many factors that <laughs> yeah. just con- that, like when people say just contribute to open source it's not that simple particularly mm-hmm. for people who are living in places where economically there's a lot of, of challenges and so mm. I think for myself as well I, I, I definitely came from a point of privilege because even that year that I was in that I could explore um, I was only able to do that because my parents are like you know like fairly well off in terms of the fact that they could give me the space to be able to do that, you know, that they could, thank God for parents. Thank God so many for parents. Exactly. Because <laughs> um, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to take that time to volunteer. And it's sad because a lot of the resources, even when I think about my own career, mm. I don't know if I would have had the opportunities I would have had today without volunteering, you know, spending a lot yeah. of time volunteering. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting, even for, you know, maybe if, if there's a donor or policymaker listening to this, you know, I would love to see more people like you, Marlene, on the Python Software Foundation and elsewhere in leadership roles. And maybe there's something where like a stipend, you know, or some, some fellowship or something like that uh, for people who don't have the parents to support them, uh, you know, just to give them a year to play around, to get that exposure, to find their feet and make their voice. I think that would be really, that would be really powerful. Um, Ooh, I would love to see that too. I'm like, <laughs> let's let's make it happen. Someone contact us and let's make that happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Marlene, a few questions for you just to wrap up our show. First is if you have any advice for young professionals, people, um, particularly young women in Zim who are interested in pursuing a career in tech. Yeah, then the number one thing that I would say is, well, two, well, two things. I will say two advice things <laughs> the first one is i would say you know dive into the deep end as soon as possible and try to nice. be in spaces that are kind of out of your out of your depth or out of your league because that's yeah. the fastest way you're gonna grow and for me that was that was tr- so true for me mm. the <laughs> earlier you start doing hard things or things that seem out of reach the easier those things become the faster those things become easy yeah 
Um, and it'll be scary and, and it'll be hard, but it'll be worth it. But it'll definitely be worth it. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that includes being in rooms where you don't know what people are saying, but you're just there in those rooms oh, and just hearing yeah. that, those, those words will actually help you long term. Nice. And then the second thing as well is, is to just be yourself, you know, and consistently mm. wherever you are, uh, just be, and this is something that I know for myself has, is something that I've grown into, but never kind of change yourself to fit to what's around nice. you, uh, but remain yourself. That's awesome. I think, yeah, no, I love that message. And I think we all have some secret superpowers from where we come from that we might not realize and might actually try to hide. <laughs> but sure. the, oftentimes those can be advantages to mm-hmm. us. Marlene, do you have any requests for donors or policymakers who might be listening to the show? I would say, please invest in, in Africa. I mean, please invest in the next generation of creators. And I, I will say not just, you know, one of the things that I don't know if I mentioned before, but something that big tech companies often do is will have huge marketing offices in Africa or huge product offices in Africa, but Mm. will not have an engineering office or will have like two engineers in the country for a company. Yeah. But will be really like creating like these developer student clubs and you know, whichever you know, I'm not calling out any big tech companies specifically, but I'm just saying that Right. (laughs) It's all of the big companies. (laughs) So I think investing in actual change and not just in like profit and and things like that, but but investing long term in the people and I mean, uh, just empowering, whether that's through startup investment. I think Africa has a huge startup scene that's really just taking off now in the tech space. So, um, yeah, I would just say invest, 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 please. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Love it. Um, is there a, a gotcha, a significant barrier to women in tech in Zim that organizations and governments should tear down now? Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> access to the internet, to be honest, is just the mm. number one barrier I would say is there. Just affordable access to the internet is just, yeah. It, I, I don't know nice. whether that's through like, I mean, in Zimbabwe, the, the cost of the internet, the good, reliable internet is so high. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see that change. You know, I don't know through who or how I know there's a lot of things. But I think <laughs> across the continent, we just need cheaper, faster, more reliable internet. Nice. And actually, it's, it's good to hear you mention that since we've had a few folks on our show talk about internet as infrastructure and how to bring it down. So it's very relevant. Wow. Very relevant, Marlene. <laughs> Would you like to offer a shout out to someone who has inspired you in your work? Yeah, sure. I have loved, there is a, there's a a woman who's from Cameroon. Her name is Rebecca Enonchong. I hope I'm pronouncing her, her surname correctly, but she's definitely inspired me. She is like, she was on the cover of Forbes, I think. And she's like this super investor in tech and just does, the most amazing work in terms of venture capitalism in, in Africa and just being a voice for African women. She has a fantastic TED talk as well on huh. how she started in, in the tech space very early on when it was like really difficult to be there. 
And I yeah. think people like her have really carved this like the pathway for people like me um, to even ha- like think that we could succeed in tech. So she's fantastic. Awesome. I'll have to look her up and definitely going to watch that TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just for fun, is there a book, a blog, a podcast uh, from personal interest that you'd like to share? I think I have been reading, I've been reading The Education of an Idealist. It's by Samantha Power. Mm. And yeah. that's that's a pretty good book. I would say it's been very interesting to read. Just my perspective because I'm I'm definitely an idealist and I struggle with idealism and kind of the rude awakening from from the reality of the world sometimes and mm. and so I think that's quite a good book to read for anyone that's also kind of in that in that area but um that and anyone that's interested in python I would say python bytes is a really good podcast I was just on there just recently <laughs> definitely would recommend it I'll look it up. Marlene, for folks that are listening to this podcast, what's the best way to find out what you're up to now and the kind of things that you're working on next? Sure. Well, I am super active on Twitter. So my handle is Marlene underscore ZW. And I also have my website, which is just my name, MarleneMangami.com. Uh, so I can always leave that in the show notes. And 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 generally just on GitHub as well, Marlene underscore Marlene ZW on GitHub. Um, if you want to nice. talk about tech or just look at the code that I'm writing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Marlene, for this conversation. I've learned so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Marlene asks the question, how do I shift from just accepting aid to being an organization that can sustain itself while still doing social good? What do you think? Should she find some grant funding to grow Zimbo Pie? Should she start a software services company? Should she stick with NVIDIA, a major American technology company, and make a boatload of money? Or something else entirely? Let us know what you think. You can reach her on Twitter at Marlene underscore ZW and me at Aid Evolved. We'll see you next time.